So how many of you like to reminisce? Anybody like to reminisce? Guess not. If you like to reminisce, say amen. All right, if you're awake, say amen. If you love Jesus, say amen. amen. If you're going to give $5 million, say amen. All right. I'll say some of you, I kind of I lured y'all into that one, didn't I? How many, I love to reminisce. Uh, this past week, um, we had a birthday for someone in my family. And, uh, you know, we obviously we take pictures and videos on Facebook and post and, you know, like most of you do whenever you have a special day. And one of the things that we, that we did this past week when we celebrated this person's birthday is we all gathered around my phone and we looked at Facebook memories. And so we looked at the birthday from last year, we looked at the birthday from seven years ago, we looked at the birthday from, you know, all the way back, almost, almost to, uh, to, to the birth. And to look at those videos and to just kind of, you know, reminisce, and, and yes, it was Katie Pierce, she's smiling on the front row, uh, to look back at all those videos and to reminisce and to see those things, I just, I just love to do that. In fact, I've, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Kelly and I came across our wedding video. We had our, our, got our wedding on video, and we sat there and watched it with our kids, and I thought, Man, I look the same that I did 15 years ago. Man, that's just great. No, I didn't. I was like, wow, look at that, uh, look at that young guy in that video. And now Kelly still looks the same, but I, but I don't. Uh, but, you know, looking back on special days and remembering and, and having memories of things, vacations, pictures, you know, videos, birthdays, stuff like that, I just, I, just, I don't know. I think, I think there's value in the past, especially when we celebrate it. I think about some of my early experiences in ministry. I remember my very first staff position in the 1990s. I was in college, and I was a part-time youth minister at uh, First Baptist Church of Lexington, Mississippi. Spent two years there, still have friends from, from that experience. I remember the first person I led to the Lord. I remember the first mission trip that I ever went on to Brazil several years ago. You know, all these memories that I have uh, are, are really nothing compared to memories of just my spiritual life, like the day that I was saved. I mean, that's a, that is a nostalgic experience, thinking about the day that the Holy Spirit came to live in my life. And I don't know about you, but I, I, like, to, I like to think about the past. I like to think about good memories from the past. I, I love to, to, to reminisce about what God has done in my life. I've kept a spiritual journal for, for decades, and to look back at that spiritual journal and to think about and, uh, and to see all of the things that God has done with me and in me and through me, it creates something in me, and it probably does you as well as a Christian, if you love the Lord, the same thing happens in you that happens in me, and I'm going to use a word today that maybe you don't use a lot to describe it, but it's the word doxology doxology. Um, let me give you a definition of doxology. We're going to read a doxology in scripture. Doxology is basically like this, it's like this burst of praise that we give to God and, we, and giving him glory for who he is and for what he has done. That's, that's what a doxology is. Doxology is whenever we think about who God is, and we think about all the things that God has done in us and all the things that God has, has done for us, and it creates almost this emotional response 
of thanksgiving and of praise and of worship to God. That's, that's doxology. And we see doxology a lot in Scripture. And, and, and I hope that, I hope that as, as I've described that, I hope that you can say, well, you know, it happens in me a lot too. I mean, whenever I hit a milestone in my life, and it's just a burst of, uh, of praise to God. Um, but we, can, we see doxology in prayer. Uh, we see doxology uh, in, in spoken words, like what we're going to read in, in, he, uh, with, in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, but we also see doxology a lot of the time is just like in a song. You all know the song, the doxology that, that we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Sing it with me. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Father Jesus. Andy, sorry. I messed it up. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. How many of you sang that at the end of every worship service growing up? I mean, a lot of you, if you grew up Southern Baptist, uh, a lot of the times, and, and I should know it by heart, I can't believe I messed it up. Um, if you grew up Southern Baptist and you probably were in a church at some point where you sang that doxology at the end of a worship service, it was almost like it was a parting praise. We would sing that song that would kind of sum up Everything that we sang, everything that was heard, everything that was preached, everything was, it was, like, a, it was like a summary as we left, saying, God, you receive glory. Well, that should happen not just in worship services, but that should happen in our life. Whenever we look back and we reflect and we reminisce on who God is and what he has done. So we have these in Scripture. I want to read one to you. And you've probably never looked at these verses as a doxology before, but they are. So let's stand together and read Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Uh, and we're just going to read two short verses. In Ephesians, in, uh, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, he says some great things about uh, how God predestined us for adoption as sons, about how he knows things in advance. In chapter 2, uh, he talks about how we were dead in trespasses and sins, and he raised us to life. He talks about faith. He talks about grace. Um, he talks about being one in Christ. And then in, ch in chapter 3, uh, he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And basically, through these first three chapters, he, 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 he writes about all of these wonderful things about who God is and about what God has done. And it's almost as if he just needs to, he, he just needs to, 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 to let out some praise to God. And that's what we see in these two verses, this quick doxology. Um, and it says... Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, when we think about doxology and we look at this doxology, um, this exclamation point as we recount who God is and, and what God has done, there's really just three things I think we can, we can sum up when we think about doxology. The power of God, the presence of God, and the plan of God. 
pretty much every doxology is going to involve that. Every doxology that is written, every prayer that you would pray that would be a doxology to God would, would involve those three things. The power of God, the presence of God, and the plan of God. So first I want to talk about the power of God. This is obviously one of those things that we give God praise for. As we, as we look at history and as we think about what God has done for us, as we recount the things that, uh, and the ways that God has been with us, obviously we have to acknowledge the power of God. If for no other reason we acknowledge His power because of the day we were saved, we experienced this power. But we serve a God who is powerful beyond our comprehension. We speak of God and we talk about God as if he has all power. We call this being an omnipotent God. That there's no power, power that he doesn't possess. There's absolutely no limit to the power that he has. When we look in scripture, we see, for example, that God has power over creation. That he created the world. And it's not like he just created the world and he walked away, but in his power he also sustains the world. I do not believe that the earth would continue to spin on its axis if it wasn't for the power of God sustaining it and keeping it moving. We also see in Scripture that God is in control of man's power. We see many, many verses in Scripture that says that even governments are subject to the power of God. And even though we see uh, big ways that God's power is exerted through, uh, through creation and through governments, we also see that God exerts His power through us individually. That He knows us, that He sees us, that He, in some mysterious way, that He's even in control of us. That even in our free will and even in our free choices, even in our sinful ways, that somehow God is still in control. Do you believe that? Do you believe God's in control? If you believe God's in control, say amen. There's just, there's just no other thing that gives me comfort than, than to knowing that God is in control of creation, God is in control of man's power, and that God is absolutely in control to me, with, uh, of me as well. And you know, the more, the more I walk with Jesus, I've been walking with the Lord for about 31 years now, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize how utterly dependent I am upon him for everything. You know, when I look back at my life, I see periods of time when I thought I was so strong, I thought I was so gifted, I thought I was so smart, I thought I was so godly, and I thought that maybe there was some good things in life that came from me and from, and from my power. And how misguided and how misled we are whenever we begin to believe that thing, that these things about ourselves, that somehow we possess a power to sustain our life. And I believe that when it comes to spiritual matters especially, we have to acknowledge that there is no goodness that is found in us that God hasn't somehow done. You've heard me say this before, but even when it comes to our sanctification, this is something that God does. We don't ever somehow turn around and say, well, look at how godly I am. I did this to myself. 
We don't sanctify ourselves. God sanctifies us. God is the one that does this in us. And this is the great human struggle when it comes just to life in general, but also to a spiritual life. We like to do what we want. We like to do it how we want. And we like to do it when we want. But we serve a God that is able to do what he wants. He is able to do it how he wants. And he is able to do things when he wants to do them. That's why the scripture says that he is the one that is able. We are spiritually unable, but God is absolutely capable. How many of you have ever failed at doing something? That proves that you do not have all power. How many of you have wanted something to happen a certain way and you couldn't make it happen that way? That's because we don't have all power and we certainly sometimes can't do things when we want to do them. God always does what he wants. He does it how he wants it and he does it when he wants it in his own timing and he does things that is bigger than we could even ask or think. Abundantly more than we could even imagine is what our God is capable of doing. He can do more than we can even ever dream up. Think about that. If we can dream it up, even if we're incapable, even if we think it would be impossible, God is able to do abundantly and exceedingly even more than that. I believe this means that our prayers are too small. Our visions for what God can do are too small. Think about what God has done in history as recorded in Scripture. God took a band of slaves and he delivered them from a powerful nation through a parted sea. Only an all-powerful God could do that. God took a boy named David. He took him from tending the sheep he made him king over Israel. God took a teenage virgin girl and made her the mother of, of, uh, of the incarnated Christ. He took a guy named Peter who never seemed to be able to say the right things and made him into a person that whenever he preached his very first sermon, 3,000 people got saved. He took a guy named Paul, who was a murderous Pharisee, and had him preach grace and mercy and love to Gentile people all over the world. God even took 40 different people and wrote through them one book over a period of 1,500 years, and none of those authors disagree with, every, with, with the others, and we read the unity in Scripture just like it was, it was one book, because it is. God has done and has plans to do, even in eternity, in heaven, things that are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Even whenever we recount 75 years of history, of Stephen Street Baptist Church. Do you know that this November, Stephen Street will be 75 years old? There's only a couple of people left that were here with that original, that original group uh, of 75 people um, who from First Baptist Church Cookville decided that, the, I'm sorry, 75 years ago, this small group of people from First Baptist Cookville decided to start Stephen Street. And do you think, do you think they could have imagined what Stephen Street is today? That small group of people 75 years ago, do you think they could have imagined all the different things 
that Stephen Street has done, or rather what God has done through Stephen Street, they could not have fathomed, for example, our care center that gives clothes and food and, and, uh, to, to hundreds of people a week and, and thousands of people over the past 15 or 20 years. They, they could not have fathomed all the church planters and all the missionaries that we've raised up, all the college students that we've had an opportunity to influence, and, and many of which have been trained to be pastors and missionaries all over the world. They, they, they could not have imagined what God in His power could have done. Uh, even our facilities, they could not have imagined it all those years ago. And I can't imagine what God's going to do over the next 75 years. And He is powerful enough to do exceedingly and abundantly more all that we could ask or think, and he does it for his glory. And when he does it, doxology is going to happen. We're going to praise God for his power, and we're also going to praise God for his presence. This is the second thing that we see in doxology. We see God's presence. And this is a great mystery, that a God who is so large, a God who is so powerful, a God who is so transcendent, so different than us, he became one of us and lived on this earth for 33 years, and now he lives inside of us through his indwelling spirit. You see, that's what, that's what this passage says. It talks about the ability of an omnipotent God to do more than you could ever think up or dream up. It would always be smaller. Anything that you could imagine would be smaller than, than God's capability. But it says that he, he wields that power. He unleashes that power. He uses that power in a way to where he is at work within us. As Christian people... We don't just sit around and observe God's power. The Bible says that we are supposed to experience God's power, that we possess the power of God inside of us, that he sends his power to be at work within us through the indwelling spirit of God. When you got saved, a person came to reside inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. An all-powerful God has made himself personal. Only an all-powerful God could do that. Only, a, only an all-powerful God that is that powerful could also be that personal with us. When was the last time you encountered the presence and the power of God personally in your life? You see, God could do anything that he wanted to do without us. He could carry out any purpose and any plan that he wanted to in the world and choose not to use a bunch of stiff-necked, rebellious, sinful people. But in his power, he has chosen to say, no, I'm going to be with those people. I'm going to be present on the inside of those people. And I'm going to carry out my plan. And I'm going to carry out my purposes inside of them. And I believe that God's power and I believe that God's presence has been with Stephen Street over the past 75 years, is with Stephen Street now, presently, and I pray is going to be present with us for at least the next 75 years. 
I never will forget the first day that I came to Stephen Street. I never, will, I never will forget that first Sunday that I was here. And just feeling and experiencing the presence of God. And just knowing that God is, God is with those people. He is present with those people. And you know, uh, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, it's, it's, it's not, there's always this danger of, well, it's got to be some... It's got to be some emotional, you know, some type of, uh, you know, crazy experience for us to, uh, to have the, the presence of God. You know, we don't always see that in Scripture. We see people experiencing God's presence in just some of the most subtle ways. Now, certainly we see in the book of Acts, we see, you know, signs and wonders and miracles. And obviously we see those things in the book of Acts. But we can't ever neglect the way that God worked in the hearts of people in subtle ways. He's, he's done that in you also, hadn't he? He's probably, he's probably worked in you in some emotional, radical ways. But m- most of his work in you, most of his transforming power inside of you has, has, probably, has probably been just been very personal and has maybe, maybe even been muted at times, but not less powerful. That's the God that we serve. So we see the power of God. We see the presence of God. And then we see the plan of God. Doxology always acknowledges the plan of God. It it sees the power of God. It senses the presence of God, but also always acknowledges the plan of God. And that's what we see in verse 21. It says, to him be glory. Where? In the church. To him be glory in the church. You see, the honor of Jesus is in the hands of God's people. It's our responsibility to make sure that Jesus' name is known, that it is honored, and that he is praised. It comes through us. That's God's plan. God's plan is the church. It has always been the church. God's plan has always been to assemble people together who could experience and encounter the power and the presence of God so that his plan could be administered on the earth. Even in the Old Testament, we see God bringing people together and assembling them for purposes. I mean, that's what we do as human. I mean, human people come together for all types of purposes. We come together for political rallies. We come together for sporting events. Uh, We come together for all sorts of purposes. God brings us together for his spiritual purposes as churches, as local churches, but also as the universal church. You remember this guy named Abram uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord created a people group for himself, basically an ethnic people group for himself. They were the only people on the face of the earth that were worshiping God in a monotheistic fashion. God made them into a nation and he put them into a promised land. And he gave them uh, kings, he gave them prophets, he gave them priests. He formed together a people for himself. And they were all in one location, the nation of Israel. They were all one ethnicity, the Hebrews. But now God's doing something different. We see in, in the New Testament, God is expanding his people. He is assembling people from all nations and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues. And that's what's going to happen in heaven. We're going to all get to heaven together, 
and we're not going to be separated in individual churches in different locations anymore. We're going to all be in one place called heaven. And all of God's people from all nations and tribes and all times, periods, and everywhere, we're all going to come together and we're going to be assembled. This is God's plan. And anytime we have doxology that just pours over from us like, a, like an exclamation point of praise, we're going to somehow have to see that we are the people of God and that we are caught up in a grand plan that's just bigger than our individual lives, that there's something so much bigger. You see, we may have built a building, but Jesus is building his church. His universal church, His people, His chosen ones. Our buildings will one day be demolished. But the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's people, God's assembled people, God's church. And when I, when I reminisce about our church, Stephen Street, our individual church, doxology just happens in my heart. Even though I have not been here for 75 years, I've only been here for six of the past 75-year history of Stephen Street. But I still feel this sense of praise when I think about what God has done among us. That small group of Christians from First Baptist Church of Cookville, in 1946, they started a Bible study in a home. They very quickly constituted as a church. They built their very first building in 1947. That building that we, uh, that we had, to, had to tear down that was itself constructed from lumber that was harvested from another place in town. Uh, many of you have taken some of that lumber and have, have made some, some beautiful furniture and some things out of it. We have, we have a, 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 an accent wall in our lobby that kind of commemorates that very first building. But 1947, they built their first church building. I don't have that old black and white photo to show you. You're probably sick of seeing it by now. But I love looking at that photo and just thinking about what God did with those people. They patiently and faithfully ministered to people for decades. But then something great happened in the 1990s. Our church experienced some, some significant growth in the 1990s under the leadership and the preaching of Jimmy Arms. How many of you here were when Jimmy Arms was here? All right, still a lot of you that were here uh, whenever Pastor Jimmy was here. Tremendous growth happened, and they had to, uh, you guys had to, had, to, had to build a new worship center, which is now our fellowship hall, where we have Wednesday night dinners and, 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 uh, and different events. And we had three services in that fellowship hall, so we had to, had to, had to, build, uh, had to build this facility in 2002. And by the way, you guys paid it off in 2010, before I came. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate that, uh, appreciate that very much. And you know, in, in the past 75 years, we've sent people overseas. There are so many people in our church that are getting on airplanes. It seems like every time we turn around, we're commissioning a new group of people. I mean, the people of Stephen Street are flying out on, on airplanes in all these different directions, uh, going to help church plants domestically, as well as going overseas to all these places. We've raised up pastors and church planters. Many of them sat just for a season in this college section with all these 
college students. And I, I, ca I can't even count the number of college students that have, have come through our church just in my six-year period and how many of them have gone to seminary and they're planting churches or being pastors or they're missionaries and, and serving in all types of different places. Thousands of people right here on this church property have been baptized, have been saved, and many more people influenced uh, just, just beyond that. Many people in other churches across our, our community as well. God's used our care center to touch thousands of people in desperate need of clothes and food and other provisions. For 75 years, we've seen God's power. For 75 years, We've, we've experienced God's presence. For 75 years, we've been the people of God, and we've seen the plan of God unfold among us. I wonder where we'll be 75 years from now. I'll be dead 75 years from now. Most of you will be as well. But here's the point. It's not about us. It's not about us. You see, doxology is not about us. The things that we do in and through a church, it's not about, it's about, it's about God's glory. It's about his kingdom. It's about serving the Lord and making sure he gets the recognition and the honor and the praise and the glory that he deserves. You see, every time God is glorified in somehow his power, his presence, and his plan is going to be exalted. And that's what we want to see. It's not just about us. It's about the Lord. And there's nothing more glorious in this life. There's nothing that, bring, that brings more praise to God and more benefit to us than whenever we personally get saved and encounter for ourselves personally the power, the presence, and the plan of God. And if you're saved, this happened to you. If you're saved... At minimum, you've experienced the power of God. On the, I, I hope that you have experienced the power of God the whole time that you've been saved. But at minimum, if you're saved, you experienced the power of God that day that you called upon Jesus. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead also lives in you. And also, whenever you got saved, you experienced the presence of God. You experienced his power personally. The day that you got saved and called on Jesus, you didn't just observe his power from someplace else. You invited a person to come live inside of you. You called upon the name of Jesus, and you said, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. You probably said something like, Lord, I want you to come and live in my heart. The indwelling spirit. This is the presence of God that should be inside of you. This person, God the Holy Spirit, resides inside of you. His presence is with you. And also, whenever you got saved, you became one of God's people. You shouldn't just drive past a church and think, that's where God's people are. You are God's people if you got saved. The Bible says that you are a child of God. And when I think about these things, when I think about salvation in my own life and in your life, when I think about 75 years of God's faithfulness to our church, I think about the potential for 75 years or more of God's faithful, His power, His presence, and His plan among us. When I, when I think about all the great things that God has done, it just leads me to doxology, such as the one in Jude 
Y'all read Jude lately? Man, Jude has some great verses. Look at this. This doxology starts off the same way as the one in Ephesians. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. If you don't know Jesus as Savior today, I want you to pray a very simple prayer. I want you to ask Him for His power. I want you to ask Him for His presence. I want you to ask Him for His plan to be unfolded in your life. And if you are a Christian, I want you to just praise the Lord for what He's done for you. I want you to think about how He saved you. I want you to think about all the things that he's done for you. I want you to acknowledge his power. I want you to acknowledge his presence. And I want you to thank him that you are part of the people and the plan of God. May your heart be filled with doxology right now. And if that's never happened, may you call on Jesus and be saved. You spend a few moments praying, and then Andy will lead us in a song.